This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today on Sightlines we pay an audio visit to the Dunedin Public Art Gallery and the just-opened Folded in the Hills exhibition, a retrospective of the work of the late, truly great Otipoti artist Marilyn Webb. We have in the studio the curators of that exhibition, Lauren Gutzel and Lucy Hammonds. Welcome to you both. Kia ora. Hi Sally, thank you for having us. You are so welcome. I went to the gallery this week for a preliminary skirmish around Folded in the Hills and I have to say that I was completely blown away by it. I said to you that day that I was almost overwhelmed and in fact slightly tearful uh, and I felt a bit silly about that but then when the three of us were talking in the gallery another person came by and shared that they'd actually felt exactly the same way and I suspect that the two of us will not be alone in that regard. The exhibition's only been open for a week, how well has it been received so far? Yeah, well, I think you're correct in that people have found the exhibition to be quite emotional, particularly people who knew Marilyn well, of which there are very many in our community of supporters um, and visitors to the gallery. So, yeah, we opened the exhibition Friday of last week with a preview and then had our first opening day on Saturday. And that opened with a talk where we gathered together some other very good friends of Marilyn's, Scylla McQueen, Bridie Loney, who's sort of been a preeminent scholar on Marilyn's work, and Jim Geddes, the um, director of the East and Southland Art Gallery, who's had a very long association with Marilyn. And I think the combination of, of those people and our visitors, the overwhelming response was that people did find it to be a, an emotional experience. And even um, those who didn't know Marilyn well have been very, very positive and receptive. I think there's a real power in an exhibition like this to really map out someone's life's work. It feels very apparent in the exhibition that it is the total energy of someone over a 50-year period to be dedicated to a life lived in art, which Marilyn was. And that is a profound thing. And it's been very gratifying if you see someone, you know, genuinely moved in the gallery. I I, I think it struck me that she's a local treasure and this is like her treasure trove in a sense and I'm sure a lot of Dunedin people will feel that way about it and one of the things I think that's immediately really striking is just the sheer number of works and the the physical impact of that when you see that number of beautiful recognisable well-known artworks by somebody that you admire and love um, it occupies the whole first floor of the gallery which is quite unusual, I think, from an exhibition perspective. How many works are there in total? Yeah, the exhibition is large. There's 143 works in total. That excludes uh, some of the material in cases, so 143 works on the walls. And as you say, it does occupy the whole first floor of the gallery, which is uh, running metres, it's about 300 running metres, so it's a lot of real estate to cover. And that was really important uh, for the exhibition to occupy that much space in the building. It was intentional. And it's important to be able to, when you're, you know, the nature of a retrospective, when you want to really explore the full arc of an artist's practice. And this show spans from the late 1960s to the mid-2000s. It was important to be able to bring in a lot of work to tell that story. And so those works come together from uh, public institutions from all over the country, 
and private collections across Christchurch, Dunedin, Invercargill and Gore. And in particular, with the public institutions, people will notice as they move through the space and, and spend time with the labels that there are some key lenders through the Hocken collections, the Dunedin Public Art Gallery collection, Eastern Southlands collection, um, and the Maryland Webb estate. So you sort of can very clearly see the huge amount of support for Maryland's practice within those collections in the Lower South Island. Right. Now, I think some of these works originated or came to the gallery as a consequence of Maryland's 1996 survey show Heartland. What can you tell us about that? Well, when we talked um, before this interview, Sally, I think that's what I told you, and then I've just gone back and had a look at our records. And in fact, I think what actually happened looking at the dates of the acquisition process is that the gallery worked to build a collection of Marilyn's work with Marilyn, and then subsequently that became the sort of genesis of that survey exhibition Heartland. Um, But whichever way you sort of cut that cloth, the consequence was that uh, at a certain point in the early 90s, the team at the gallery began a conversation with Marilyn about how to adequately represent aspects of her career up until that point in our permanent collection. And that led to her working with the team at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery to bring together a collection of work that she felt was representative of the kind of key concerns of her work over time. So that's a collection that takes us from the early stages of her career up until the early 90s, which was her contemporary moment at the time of that acquisition. And then subsequent to that, uh, in the I think in 1998, there was another subsequent collection of work or a commission to Maryland to extend that holding. That was supported by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society, that initial purchase in 1993. And so it's been a really lovely opportunity, I guess, in the exhibition to bring together a broader group of works that supplement and expand the collection that we hold, because I guess the collection that we hold is sort of one or two examples of key series over time, and what we have in the exhibition is is a very rich sort of expansion of each of those moments to kind of better understand where they intersect, where they depart from one another, which periods of Marilyn's career were very particularly vigorous and those are the sorts of characteristics I think that you can start seeing when you when you do start kind of laying out a a large body of work. And and that's very obvious the way that her work has evolved and her subject matter and her personal passion Mm. um, for various things has evolved over time. Is it unusual in your experience as curators for a gallery to work so closely with an artist to acquire a representative sample of their work? No, I think at any point in time, if you are embarking on trying to create um, a capsule, I suppose, and an artist is around and you're doing that, going through that process directly, you would always go through a, a series of conversations about how that artist wanted to be recorded, how they wanted their story to be recorded. And I think you can see in the different collections of Marilyn's work, in the collections Lauren's mentioned, particularly if you consider the Hocken, the Dunedin Public Art Gallery collection and the East and Southland collection, each of those collections have got quite different characters. So our collection has been formed in that certain way that we've discussed. Um, The Hocken's collection has got... Uh, a wealth of material, um, sort of preparatory material or experimental material that sort of reflects 
particular moments, like for instance, her Francis Hodgkin's fellowship year and the close association between that collection and the university and the fellowships. And for instance, Eastern Southland's collection um, has got a very strong representation of, of kind of complete series of works mm. born mm. out of specific commissions and marking the the long duration of relationship that Marilyn had with that institution over time. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting to look at how collections come together. It really is. And I think that's probably the thing for me that's most striking about this exhibition is that it really hits you that the Dunedin Public Art Gallery and the Hocken in particular has a fantastic cross-section retrospective representative sample right across the board of all of Marilyn's work and as a Dunedin person I found that really heartening mm. and, and, and quite heartfelt. Because of the size of the exhibition it must have been a mammoth task for you to put that together. Tell us about that. How long has it taken? Yeah, so the exhibition has been put together by three curators, Bridget, Rewiti, Lucy and myself and it's probably been about two years in the making with both the exhibition and the publication. And I think curatorially, you know, it's always such an honour to be able to put together a retrospective and really focus in on an artist's practice over time. Um, but with that, you know, they require a lot of time to do the research and to talk to everybody that you want to talk to. You know, Marilyn's, we spent lots of time in this project talking to Marilyn's friends and the community of people that sort of wrapped around her practice over time and knew her really well, Write, other writers and curators and academics that have been involved with writing about and talking about Marilyn's practice. So you sort of want those conversations to have time to take place. You want to be able to locate all the works. And then, of course, there's the writing process for the publication. Yes, tell us more about this publication that you've been skirting around boasting about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we're <laughs> because thrilled. Because it's well worthy of a good boast, I have to say. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, no, we're so thrilled with the publication. So the book's um, been designed by Karina McLeod, who's the designer at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, um, and it includes three essays from each of the curators and a Forward, an introduction that's been written by Bridie Loney, who, as Lucy said, has been a preeminent uh, writer around Marilyn's practice. So it was really great that she agreed to write the introduction for our book and kind of set that scene. And then within that, there's also a group of published, republished and newly commissioned uh, poems from poets. So we've got work from um, Scylla McQueen, Hone Tufare, Ruby Solly and SMA Ranapiri, which are really provide an interesting pace through the book. And it was really important for us that it was very heavily illustrated. So there's lots of beautifully colourful plate sections of Marilyn's work that spans kind of the journey of the show because books become such an important legacy of an exhibition. The exhibition is on for a set period of time and then the book lives on forever. And so it's really important for us that it was bringing together those visuals yeah. along with the text. It's a really, really beautiful book. And again, you know, we're on radio and it's very difficult to impart a sense of the visual joy that mm. is this publication. But I would really like to congratulate all of you, but both of you in particular who have been involved in making this book because it's just gorgeous. A lot of people will recognise Marilyn's work, but what might not be quite so well known is that for the artist herself, there was a lot of herself reflected in that art. For listeners who perhaps aren't that familiar with her history and how that related to her work, can you perhaps give us a, a bit of a potted summary of, of that? 
Yeah, sure. I I can um, give you a bit of a background um, to Marilyn and her life, and I and and you're right. You get a sense of her life story through her art practice, and particularly the places that were important to her and her places of return are sort of mapped out through her work and her life over time. So Marilyn was raised from a young age in Orpotiki, which is a small um, town in the Bay of Plenty, and. She had a very kind of rich upbringing in which she was very immersed in the environment. So there were a lot of stories she's told about the importance of going to the beach, of being let loose at the river, um, of exploring in the bush. There was a lot of freedom, I suppose is what I'm trying to say, in her young life and, and that became very foundational. When she got to the age of thinking about what the next steps would be for her, um, she told a story once of realising that if she stayed in Orpotiki she was going to end up working at the bank and so she decided she would leave and go to Teachers College and she ended up at Ardmore um, Teachers College in in Auckland um, where she underwent training as a teacher and then through that process you know she was enthusiastic about art and creativity she was painting at the time and she was invited into a third year of special training which is often talked about as the Tovey scheme which was a one-year add-on to um, a teaching qualification by which a group of people were identified and invited down to Aotearoa Dunedin to embark in sort of specialist training to become what are called specialist arts and crafts advisors. And those advisors then were sort of... They had a a mixed training that was about um, sort of ideas and theories and philosophies of creativity alongside practical art making skills. And there's a, you know, a rich kind of alumni of that program that's been of huge influence to Mm. generations of artists themselves, as well as to the children that benefited from having this sort of rich, holistic approach to creativity in schools. That was she was quite instrumental in that, I think, wasn't she? She was, she was. And so Marilyn, uh, through that programme, came to Dunedin for the first time and then returned to the north uh, and worked as an arts advisor. So she was based in the Auckland branch office and she was travelling around the Auckland region and into the far northern region. And that's where the work sort of starts to pick up, particularly on her story. Yeah, it's a very important time. Time. Um, many of those arts advisors were Māori artists and have come to be a hugely influential generation of Māori artists. Marilyn has Whakapapatin Ngāpui, which um, came through her mother, and that was always, I think, an underpinning importance to her, but it wasn't necessarily a very public part of her story in mm-hmm. those early mm-hmm. years, um, and she's talked about that from time to time. And then I think she came back to Dunedin as the Francis Hodgkins Fellow in 1974, and that was quite a seminal move for her. She did. Essentially, her moment of you apply for the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship when she was in receipt of that, she was the first uh, Māori woman artist to receive the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship. She remains the only printmaker that's received that fellowship. Um, At that stage, she had begun a very experimental um, and fundamental kind of commitment to printmaking and to paper, um, working on paper, Uh, in exploring that medium and form. She brought that back to Dunedin with um, her Hodgkins Fellowship um, and that was a real turning point in her career and in the exhibition of signalling a move away from working as a teacher as her sort of first line of work and into a lifetime um, with a fully committed studio practice as an artist. And in the end... She had 50-plus years of making art, and I think her medium varied, but her subject matter remained quite consistent in many respects throughout that time. 
In curating the exhibition, can you give us a a sort of overview of how you have organised the work? Because it's largely chronological, but it seems to fall into different sections. Yeah, it does. So the exhibition exists in four parts. And as you say, it is, for the most part, chronological, parts uh, one, two, and four. And then part three sort of sits in the, almost like the heart of the exhibition, where time collapses, but it becomes focused on subject matter over time. Um, So the first part of the exhibition very much introduces people to Marilyn's creative practice and that sort of experimental stage of printmaking that she was sort of working within, um, her experiences of different landscapes, how she was thinking about her relationship to the landscape. And it brings together conversations around her role as an educator and her um, printmaking practice and how those things sat together it looks at her approach to printmaking, which was experimental. It was bringing together lots of different printmaking practices, as well as uh, hand colouring, so blending print and fluid media together. So those things are kind of unpacked in the first part of the show. And a big part of that part one is, as Lucy was talking about, in terms of the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship, that is where those works sit, which are a really important moment um, in sort of that year cementing Marilyn's commitment to the way in which she explored the landscape as not a depiction of specific place as its core purpose, but actually representing a sort of spiritual, cultural, physical relationship to the whenua, which, you know, and that prevails right through the entire show. And as as part of that group of work, there's also a really great documentary uh, that was filmed in 1974 when Marilyn was the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship. Um, which is only about 10 minutes, so it's easy to sit through, but it really provides some insights into what Marilyn was doing at that time and how she was sort of thinking about her work and printmaking practices. And then I think we evolve to the second part, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, you've termed the protest part, where she explores environmental concerns, which she's expressed through her work, things about vulnerable environments, anti-nuclear stance, anti-industry, as well as some quite personal works about her own boundaries. And then there's that third part that you've talked about, which seems to have quite a lot of focus on areas like Fiordland and Matara, uh, di- quite a distinctive phase. And you've said that she also started using Maori place names in her work as part of that phase. Yeah, I think what you see at the, in the latter part of the exhibition um, is Marilyn has spent an extended period of time in the South and, and has started making these sort of very important forays into quite remote places like Fiordland, out to Rakiura, and sort of traverses the, the coastlines, I suppose. You can see the works starting to delve quite deeply into Indigenous histories of place and her understandings of those things starts to really yes. come to the fore. And so the use of text does come up. It, it appears throughout the exhibition in different forms, um, language, alphabet and words. But in the la- latter part of the exhibition and series, like, for instance, in Hodges Wake, which is very direct reference to mm-hmm. um, you know, the colonial discovery of, of that fieldland area, Marilyn sort of meets that with a beautiful series of work in Shades of Green in which she incorporates different names for Ponamu, um, and that coast has got very specific histories around the collection of 
different types of ponamu at different places. And I guess what, um, to me, she's doing in that series is sort of meeting a colonial account of discovery with um, an ind- indigenous mm. understanding of place through those natural resources and um, histories that are embedded within those places. Very striking seeing all those works at once. Mm. And then, of course, there's the fourth section, uh, which I think you've called the Otipoti, 30 Years On, um, where she has a more developed relationship with perhaps places and spaces. Lucy, Lauren, thank you for the amazing mahi that has been involved in putting this beautiful exhibition together. Marilyn Webb is very well loved in our city, and so many Dunedinites have the great pleasure of owning some of her work. She's very much one of our own. I encourage listeners to set aside an afternoon, get your sneakers on and walk (laughs) your way around folded in the hills. You will be well rewarded. And now here's DPEG Society Council Member Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin arts scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, we're starting off a new year of art in Dunedin. What should viewers be looking at? Well, in February, the best art shows in town are at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, where there are riches in store. Hui Kao on the ground floor draws from the permanent collection, and the breadth of the oldest collection in New Zealand is quickly apparent. Shane Cotton's monumental work, The Haymakers, is on display. This work is jointly owned and shared by the Dunedin and the Christchurch Public Art Galleries. So grab the opportunity to see this work before it heads back to Christchurch. Many of these works in the collection have been purchased with funds from our society, and these include works by Fiona Paddington, Rita Angus and Imogen Taylor. Although this exhibition continues until October 2025, I think it warrants multiple visits. Indeed, and Ross, there's some great new reading in store for art lovers this year too. That's right, Stella. Yes, in the publishing field, the greatly anticipated work on Gordon Waters by Francis Pound is now available. With meticulous Welsh research detail, it outlines Walter's journey to achieving a unique personal voice. Works throughout this book show how Walter's evolved his abstract version of modernism, and this at a time when there was very little public exposure and appreciation of abstract art. This book has been skillfully edited by Leonard Bell using Pound's notes. Francis Pound died in 2017, but had been working on this book for many years. It's a very beautiful publication, and of course we can't go past the other new publication, which celebrates the fabulous show that we have just been discussing with Lauren and Lucy. That's right. Curators Lucy Hammond and Lauren Gutzel and Bridget Rewiti have produced a magnificent book that accompanies the current Marilyn Webb retrospective, Folded in the Hills. The authors describe Webb's travels and her work as an educator, a leading print artist, environmental activist and conservationist, not to mention her numerous awards and accolades. Throughout the book, there are contributions and references to significant New Zealanders in Marilyn's life. Silla McQueen, Hone Tufare, Kure Te Rewiri, and local art historian Bridie Loney all contribute. It's rewarding to see the large number of works in this show bought with funds from the society over the years and now in the permanent collection. The book is richly illustrated and includes her series Taste Before Eating. Absolutely fantastic. And of course, society members uh, get a substantial discount on works like this if they buy from the gallery shop. That's right, yes. Um, DPAG Society members get a 20% discount. 
And this book on such a significant New Zealand artist would be an excellent addition to your art library, maybe a Christmas present, and a great memento of the current web retrospective, which shows until April the 7th, 2024. I think, Ross, one of the great things about having this retrospective is that many local collectors can put works that they own personally into the context of Webb's whole creative output. It's some time ago when I bought one of Marilyn's pastels based on one of her many journeys to Fiordland, we were honoured to welcome her to our house. She wanted to see her work framed and hung. That's a lovely story. Any special highlights for you, Ross, in the current show? I just think the, the breadth of her work and the power and strength of her work really come across. She was so committed to the land, so connected to the land, and this shows so much in the current show. Yes, yeah. Thanks, Ross. And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again next month for another dive into the visual arts in Dunedin. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAG Society websites. If you'd like to join the Society, you can also find a form on our website or join at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery reception. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer and DPAG Society President Jonathan Quayle. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.